Well, good morning, and I'd like to welcome you to Graceland once again. My name is Ray. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd love to meet you afterwards um, out in the family room. I'd love to connect with you. If uh, this is your first time, we'd love to greet you personally. Maybe you've been coming for a while. We've never met. I'd love to connect with you, coffee or whatever the case. Uh, So I'm I'm just going to cut to the quick, though. When you meet me, okay, I'm going to give you a couple of hints on a little bit of who I am. First of all, okay, I'm really, really normal in size. Okay, I'm a buck 65. And I'm about 5'9". All right, pretty normal inside. That's the average, you know, uh, male in America, typically speaking. Now, this last week I was in a meeting with somebody who was not normal in size. I was sitting right next to him. He's 6'6". He's 300 pounds. I'm not lying. His hands were like the size of catcher's mitts. And then later on, I'd find out that he actually is a catcher in the major leagues. I mean, this is a huge guy. He actually is on the Milwaukee Brewers team. I mean, uh, he could have played offensive line on any NFL team. In the, I mean, this is a massive guy. And I felt like this big. Have you ever been around somebody like that? That just you feel so very uh, small. Now, I want you to imagine with me something. As I was sitting next to this guy, I began to think about this. Uh, just imagine with me when this guy was young. He was in t-ball. Many of us grew up playing t-ball, right? Okay. And he started playing t-ball. He was probably a little taller, a lot of, probably a little better athlete than a lot of the t-ball players at the time. But what if, as everyone started to get older, he just stayed in t-ball? Like he got, you know, he, he, he turned six and then seven and then 10 and then 12 and then 15 and then 18. He's still there. And now he's 6'6", six, six, he's 300 pounds, and he's in line drives at four-year-olds. Why do you laugh? All right, that's sick, right? Now, the reason why that's weird is because he was made for so much more, right? Yeah. And that's exactly what I want you to understand this morning. That you were made for so much more than what you currently are living. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, uh, as we look to your word, as, as we look to, to hear from you, as we look to encounter you, God, I pray that you would help us discover what you've made us more for. And then I pray that you would help us to understand this more than anything else. So may your word be communicated. May your spirit pierce our hearts. In your name we pray, God. Amen. That we were made for more. We don't grasp this. And that the Apostle Paul, he knew that the Christians in Ephesus, the followers, he, he knew that they didn't get it. So he writes this letter. And he writes this letter to them. And he begins to say, look, you have so much in Christ. You are made for more. So in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11, he said, stand upon those things. And when you stand upon those things, that is what it looks like to move forward, to live for more. But, but... You're going to face attack. You're going to face an invisible war. We've been talking about it, spiritual warfare. And even though you may not understand it, even though you may not really grasp it, there is an invisible war all around you. And it's happening in the heavenly realms, as Paul indicates several times. So as we turn to Ephesians 4, if you would, in your smartphone, your tablet, the Bible you brought or the Bible is in front of you, take that out, turn to Ephesians 4, you're going to see this, that the greatest threat to you understanding that you are made for more, 
the greatest threat to your relationships, the greatest threat to your finances, the greatest threat to your career, your academics, your calling, your life, your marriage, you fill in the blank. The greatest threat, it's not the big things. It's not the things that like just catch you off guard. It's the small, seemingly little things. It's the things that nip and, and bite at your heels. It's those things that really hinder us in so many ways. And what those things do is they hinder the flow of the Spirit of God and they hinder who we were made to be. So God, what He wants to do is He wants to do this internal overhaul in your life. He wants to get under the hood. He wants to refabricate some things. He wants to transition some stuff out. He wants to transform you. He wants to make you more holy. This, this process of change, a fancy word, theological word for it, it's called sanctification. Sanctification it has three different aspects of it. The first aspect of sanctification is that, that we have a positional sanctification. That's what all of Ephesians chapter 1 through chapter 3 was talking about. That we have this position that we are seated with Christ, according to Philippians chapter 1 verse 1. The second aspect of sanctification is a present day sanctification. That we are in the process of looking hopefully more and more and more like the Son of God. And then the third one is future sanctification. This is the one I look forward to, that we will be in glory, that we will be in heaven, and there will be no more tears, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Now, according to this present-day sanctification, this process of God changing us, making us, and helping us understand that we're made for more, the Bible's clear as followers of Christ. Look, if you're not a believer, okay, this is not for you here today. And what I'm going to say next, you're, you're going to get something just a little bit. But for all of you in this room who say, you know what? I'm a follower of Christ. That's me. I'm a member of Graceland. This is my church. Hey, I'm here today. I'm not a member, but I'm following Christ. Well, this is for you because the Bible's clear that there has to be a change on the inside for it to flow to the outside. Jesus, he was with a, a bunch of spiritual posers. And uh, he, he says, you know what? He points at a tree and he says, you know what? A, a, a tree is always known by its fruit. That's why he says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? It's kind of like this. The worm transforming into the butterfly. How many of you have ever seen a worm before? Raise your hand. Yeah, all of us. How many of you have seen a butterfly? Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Now, wouldn't it be crazy if you had this butterfly transformed from the inside out, un unbelievable newness of life, and it's still crawling around like a worm? You'd be like, fly, right? Fly, you have so much made, you're made for more. In the same way, so many of us today, we're still crawling around when we should be flying. How many of you would say, you know what, I want to fly. I don't want to crawl. That's right. This is what Paul wants us to help to understand. So what I want to do is I want to look at uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17, all the way into chapter 5. And what we're going to look at is he, we're going to divide this up into two different parts. The first part is verse 17 through 20. And the second part, or, I'm sorry, verses 17 through 19. The second part is 20 and following. And the first part, if you have your listening guide, you can mark it down. Paul is saying, look, don't be distracted. Keep focused. Let's look at it together. Verse 17 and following. He says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. He said, listen up that you may that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now, he's saying, look, keep your eyes on the prize. I played a lot of sports growing up. Many of you did as well. One thing I heard over and over and over again was keep your eyes on the ball, Ray. Keep your eyes on the ball. Watch the ball. Why? Because the ball is all what it's about. Hit it. 
shoot it, do it, but keep your eye on the ball. And Paul is saying, look, keep your eye on the prize. The prize? Who's the prize? Jesus. He says, so, so remember that. And don't live like them. Well, who's the them? Well, he's like, that's the general public. And the general public he refers to as the Gentiles. Now, how do they live? Well, he, he shares with us in verse 18. He says, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. You can highlight that, underline that. Because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality. Highlight that. I'll get to that. They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Paul is describing the general public in a way, really all hearts, all lives, if you were to dig down into really the original meaning of this, what you get here is that every single heart has this insatiable thirst. And it cannot be quenched. But we look for things all the time to quench it. I mean, some of, some of us look for power to quench the thirst. Some of us look to, like, if, we, if I could just have a family, then I'll quench my thirst. Some of us look to money to quench their thirst. Some of us look for a certain amount of money to retire. If I can just get this amount of money and then my thirst will be quenched. Or if I could just have a boyfriend, a girlfriend, if I could just not be alone, if I could just have this career, if I could just have that, then the quench would be, or the uh, thirst would be quenched. But as Solomon found out, I mean, the guy had everything. He says, look, it's all meaningless. Well, where does the thirst come from? Well, Paul says it. He says it comes when you're separated from the life of God. See, outside of God, there is no quenching. And and Paul reminds us, look, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, he says, you were dead, dead. No heartbeat, dead. Dead in your trespasses and sins. A really great illustration for this is you were roadkill, dead in your sins, flat as a pancake, smelly, awful, no heartbeat. I don't know what kind of roadkill you were. I'm just hoping I wasn't a skunk. I think that's the worst roadkill of all. Would you agree? I think that's the worst. But we were dead in our trespasses. But then later on, Paul, he'll say in a couple minutes, he says the word Jesus to them. And the word Jesus would remind them of the Lord Jesus, he, he, of his perfect life, his atonement on the cross, that, that he would be buried three days, and then three days later he'd rise again. His resurrection would, would prove the, the message, the beautiful good news of the gospel. And through this, Christ raises a roadkill and gives us life. And as one pastor says it, he says, I was made alive to act alive. See, now we're free in Christ. Our heart is being transformed. That's what the whole book of Galatians is about. It's about a freedom story. See, we were made alive to act alive. Now I should live differently. Now my life should be completely, completely different than my citizenship. It's no longer from the earth. It's in heaven. I'm passing through. It changes my entire life. I should act different. I should live different because I have been set free. That's why, look, part of our mission is to invite. That's why Easter's coming around the corner. In just a few weeks, that we want to invite 30,000 people. Yesterday, my family and I, we, we, we set out and we invited uh, people in this local neighborhood right over here surrounding our church to Graceland on, to experience Easter Palm Sunday all the way through Holy Week and then on Easter weekend. And we had great conversations. Nobody slammed the door on our face, partly because I had two little beautiful girls with me, okay? But that'll break the ice real fast. But the point is, is they're like, thank you so much. Would you be inviting? We have 
tools out in the lobby. Would you remember that you're passing through and part of your, really your entire mission is to make disciples, make disciples of Jesus Christ. That is why you're passing through. Paul said, look, don't be distracted. Don't crawl. Fly. Fly. Now, is it that easy? Is the enemy, oh, okay, you got the, is the enemy going to say, oh, you understand it now. I'll leave you alone. No, when you are on target, you become the target. And he, he, he looks at you and he says, I'm going to try to discourage them. I'm going to try to take that away. And so that's why the next section, I believe Paul was saying, look, you got to fight for flight. You got to fight for flight. That's really the second section there. So you got to set you free. You're supposed to live like Christ. You're going to have to fight to fly. Because you know what? The enemy wants you to crawl on your belly. He doesn't want you to ever discover what God has for you. Paul continues in, in verse 20. He says, That however is not the way of life you learn. He's talking about that old life. Verse 21, When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, highlight that, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to be put on the new self, highlight that, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Look, now I want to teach you a couple words today, words you may or may not know, okay? But the, the, the first phrase that we're going to look at is the phrase to put off. Everyone say that with me. To put off. Oh, that wasn't very good, okay? I know it's not, I know it's the early service, all right? So, all right, here we go. Ready? We're going to say it all together. To put off, right? Here we go. To put Oh, that's a lot better, okay? And to help you understand that, I'm going to teach you a word, and it's the word dehabituation. Dehabituation. And I've um, I'm going to draw a graph here to help you understand this word. The word dehabituation, okay, that is to put off, all right? And, and to put off, if this, if, this, uh, if this line right here is time moving along this way, as you live life, you are to dehabituate, you are to put off, you are to... I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna. I mean, it's, it's an alcoholic refusing to take another drink. Now, what does his body say or her body say to do? To take another drink. But the, he or she is, I'm not gonna do it. I'm putting off. I'm dehabituating, okay? That's what I'm trying to communicate. Now, now, is that easy? No. But that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, take off the old, okay, take off the old so that you can fly and not crawl anymore. One of my favorite scholars, Augustine, went, before he was a believer, he had a mistress. Her name was Claudia. And then he, he met Christ and his life was transformed. He's walking down the road one day and his, his mistress, Claudia, hey, Augustine, Augustine. He doesn't even look at her, basically. And, and she finally, she says it again. He doesn't respond. And, and then she says, it's me, Claudia. And he stops. And he turns to her and he says, but it's no longer Augustine. Do you see what I'm saying? You're a, new, you're a new person in Christ. That you're a son, you're a daughter, the King of kings and Lord of lords to, to put off. What it looks like, okay, it looks like that if you have a problem uh, with stealing something, to put off is to stop stealing. That's putting off. And Paul's going to later talk about that. But that's not just the whole enchilada here, okay? 
In verse 24, what we get is Paul says to put on, what? To put on. Everyone say that word uh, phrase with me. Put on. Okay. That is the word. That is for rehabituate. Rehabituate. That is to put on. And to put on is to replace with what's been put off. See, it's not enough just to say, you know what, I'm not going to lie. It's not enough not to say, I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to cheat. See, if you have a problem with stealing, okay, then you're going to have to start working so that you can pay for things honestly. Make sense? You're going to have to put off and put on. A lot of times we'll, tr- we'll, 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 we'll say, you know, I want God to transform my life and you will, you will take stuff out of your life, but you won't replace it with what God has for you. And if you don't replace, well, then you're going to be stuck in a, a vicious cycle. So Paul says, look, put off and put on. Dehabituate and rehabituate. And what happens as a result is that your life will be transformed. Over time, as you do this. And that is how God changes our life. Okay? And what God wants you to understand is that as you put off, you put on. As you take away, you add. And as you do that, God changes your life from the inside out. The Apostle Paul in Romans 6 verse 13 says it this way. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. It's powerful. Now, let me just give you an illustration, okay? Let's just say that you and I, we work, we're friends, okay? And we work in a manure factory. That's our, that's our job. And, and we're, we're, we're working in this factory, okay? And what do you think you smell like when you work in a manure factory? Good or bad? Smell bad, right? So you're working in this manure factory, and uh, you get home, and, and you stink bad. So you take out all your clothes, you take a shower, and you smell great, right? You smell really, really, really good. Now, then you go back to your old clothes, and you put them back on. N- no! You're like, some of you are like, oh, no. No, you, you, you put on new clothes. That's what, that's what Paul's saying. He's like, Take off the old, okay, and put on the new. Dehabituate and rehabituate. And what we're going to find here is that if we want to take flight in our life and not crawl and settle for those things, then we're going to have to put off and put on. And Paul, as, as we continue to look here in, in his letter, he goes on to give illustration after illustration after list after list after list after list. He could go on and on and on and on and on of all the different ways you put off and you put on. See, what I want you to see in the following verses is not just a list of things to do and not to do. He's trying to help you understand what he was trying to make in this, in this verses 20 through 24. That This is the principle, the power of transformation, how God does it in your life. And the, because of the gospel, then it, it encourages us, it influences us, and it brings the power to transform us from the inside out. It's how it transforms us in our life, how it makes us holy and sanctifies us that we're not the same anymore. So look at it with me in verse 25 and following. Therefore, each of you must put off. There it is. Put off falsehood and then speak truthfully to your neighbor. See, he's putting off and saying, you got to, 
you got to put off lying, and now it's time to put to replace it with truth. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. How many of you have been angry before? Okay. Anger is not a sin. When you're angry and it's selfish desires, that's sin. But Jesus was angry. If you're angry about the right things in the right time, that's not sin. But Paul says a good test is, look, first of all, don't let your anger go down. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. So don't stay mad. But then second of all, you got to be mad about the right things, angry about the right things. Uh, the, my, uh, one of my daughters recently opened the fridge up, got this big thing of liquid out, and dropped it all over the floor. I was like, oh, and I got angry. Was that sin or not sin? That was sin, right? That's what Paul said not to do. Put off and put on, right? So don't go to bed mad. You're going to wake up that way. You don't want to wake up mad, right? How many of you want to see God transform your anger in your life? Well, if that's the case, then the Spirit of God is going to have to replace that anger with peace and that selfishness with selflessness. And here's the deal. Your anger, my friend, maybe it's at somebody right now. Look, if you stay mad, who's it going to hurt? Not them, but you. It's like taking rat poison, hoping the other person dies every single time. That's why Paul says you got to put off, put on. He continues, verse 29. Look at it with me. He says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up. If it's not going to build any others up, then don't say it. If it's not going to encourage, don't say it. If it's not for their own benefit, don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't tweet it. Don't put it on social media. Don't tell people. Don't say it. And here's why I'm so passionate about that. Because in our body of believers, as Christians, we say stuff to each other that hurts. How many times have you been hurt by another Christian? So many. Don't let that person be you hurting someone else. Build each other up. Paul says, take those things off and, and build each other up. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Reminds me of a, a woman, she went to her, her beautician. Her beautician wasn't exactly known for her wholesome talk. She goes and sits down uh, in the beautician's seat, and the beautician says, okay, so uh, what's the deal? What's going on in your life? And she says, well, I'm getting ready to go on a trip. Oh, okay, where are you going on a trip? The beautician asks. The lady says, well, we're going to Rome. The beautician says, Rome? Oh, I heard it's dirty and smelly. You're not going to like it at all. Well, how are you going to get there? The lady says, well... Uh, we're going to get there on United Airlines. United Airlines? Oh, it's, they have the ugliest flight attendants. I mean, like, like the ugliest in all the airlines. You're not going to like it at all. They'll probably be late. And she goes, okay, well, what are you going to do when you get to Rome? Well, the lady sitting in the chair says, well, we're going to stay in a villa. The beautician says, a villa? Oh, that's awful. They're overpriced. They're not clean. It's, they're overrated. You're not going to like it. And then finally, the, the beautician says, well, what are you going to do while you're in Rome at the villa? And she says, well, we're going to go see, we're going to go see the Pope. The Pope? 
You're not going to see the Pope. He's not going to be there when you're there. There's no way you're going to be there. Uh, it's, you're not going to have any fun. So the, the lady gets her hair cut. She leaves. She goes on the trip. She comes back and she says, I'm going to treat, I'm going to, I'm going to show that lady a thing or two and help her understand she doesn't know what she's talking about. So she, she sits down and the beautician says, so how was your trip to Rome? And, the, and she goes, I bet you it was smelly and dirty, wasn't it? She goes, actually, it was great. Well, so how was the trip on United Airlines? Well, you know, it's a funny thing you, you ask. They overbooked and so they put us in first class and we ate steak all the way there. Oh, okay. Well, I bet the villa wasn't very good. Well, actually, the villa flooded right before we got there and we got to stay in the penthouse of the villa. It was the best villa I've ever stayed in in my life. Really? Okay, but you know what? I'm sure, how was the Pope? You probably didn't see him, did you? Well, actually, we were wandering around the Vatican and the guard, the personal guard of the Pope said, hey, you know, every now and then the Pope likes to have dinner with one of the people wandering around. We want, the Pope wants to have dinner with you. And so the, the petition at this point is like leaning forward and she, and she says, well, well, what did the Pope say? And, and the lady says, well, the Pope took one look at me and said, who did your hair? It's the worst thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and here's the point. Here, watch your words. Watch your words, friends. Paul continues, let's look, look at it with me, in, in verses 30 and 31 and 32. We could keep going, but I want to put a graph up here for you. And what I want you to do is I want you to look at this. And what you're going to find over and over and over again is Paul saying, look, dehabituate things and rehabituate things. Falsehood, lying, will speak the truth, right? If, you're going, if you have a problem with stealing, well, work with your own hands, give to others. Uh, if you have a problem with corrupt talk, unwholesome talk, well, then words need to build things build up others. If you are a bitter, angry person, well then look at forgiveness and the kindness of God and how he's treated you. Would you put off and put on? And, and, and Paul, he says, look, if I could say anything, fight for fight. Don't crawl. Would you fly? And Paul keeps going into chapter five. We could stop, but see, Paul, he wrote, there weren't chapters and verses inserted. This was inserted later on. We're going to keep going because he continues to give these illustrations as examples. Verse 1, chapter 5, look at it with me. It says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See, the goal is to live like God, to be like God, to win like God. Everything about us should be like him. Then Paul says, but among you, there must not be even a hint, a hint of sexual immorality. Now, what does that mean? A hint of sexual immorality. That means if it smells like it, if it even just a small bit twinge towards it, don't get near it. Okay, fellas, look at me right now. Look at me, guys, okay? If you don't want to crawl, if you want to fly, all right, is your humor on the golf course, on the basketball course, uh, court, uh, in your workplace, your, your, your guys, is, is your kind of jesting, are your jokes, is your language, is everything going on? Your, does it objectify women? If it does, there is a hint of sexual immorality in your life. You are crawling instead of flying. Married people, okay? All of you who are married today, your sexual relationship, it, when you approach your sexual relationship, is it, is it uh, all about your needs or is it about her or his needs. 
if it's about her or his needs, your sexual relationship not only will be blessed, but also, listen to me, listen to me, that, that selfishness can clearly move into sexual immorality if you're not careful. Singles in the room, those of you who are not married, if you're dating someone, if you're dating her or dating him, I know they're good looking. And I know that you're attracted to that individual. But hear me now, is your physical relationship glorifying God? Is what you watch, it, what you intake on your iPad, your iPhone, your, your screens, is what you read? Is there a hint of sexual immorality? I know. Honestly, I know. You probably would literally have to have sun, like, like blinders on not to see sexually inappropriate things in our culture today. But what I'm saying is, is that are you gladly in taking things that you, maybe you shouldn't be? I was very convicted of this. There's a show that my wife and I love to watch. I mean, it's a really entertaining show. And if I told you the name of the show, you'd be like, oh yeah, I've heard of that show. I watched that show. Or I've heard of a lot of people watching that show. And God convicted me and said, I don't think that's good for you, right? Okay. I take a step back. I don't watch it anymore. That's what Paul's saying. Verse 5, he continues, for of this you be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater. Stri uh, uh, skip down to verse 7. Therefore, do not partner with them. He, he's saying, look, you used to be like them. Now you're not. Act like it. They're in a losing battle. Don't join a losing cause. If you're, not a, if you're a believer, then don't mess with that stuff. It's beneath you now. Go after something greater. Now, but you say, oh man, but you don't understand. Like, there's a part of me that wants to go there. There's a part of me that wants to entertain these things. Sure it does. But go back to putting off and putting on. Okay. Verse 8, he says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light and find out what pleases the Lord. You were darkness. You were part of the problem, but now you're part of the light, that you are in a different place. Look, look, know who you are, step into your inheritance, understand how God wants you to fly, and, and keep focused on that. And then he says in verse 11, Having nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Call sin for what it is, confess it, and move on. And then verse 15 and following, he says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled. Underline that, highlight that. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God, the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul's not angry, okay? He's not upset. He's not frustrated. What he's saying is like, just, just don't mess with that stuff. That stuff's not, that's below you. God has got something greater. Here's the thought. Here's a thought, and you can write this down. That Satan's more is really less. That Satan's more is really less. He wants you to think it's more. He wants you to think it's for you, but really it's a lot less. He's the great deceiver. Now, he is going to give you more, okay? And what it's going to lead to, it's going to lead to more disappointment, more heartache, more regret, more this, more that. It's all going to be negative at some point along the way. Satan's more is really less. So fight for flight. I, I was reading this last week, um, a sermon by Billy Sunday. 
And uh, I, I read this quote. He said, one reason sin flourishes is that it is treated like a cream puff instead of a rattlesnake. Now, I hate snakes. I mean, bad. Like, I won't get near them. I can't stand them. I, 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 I can take on a lot of other different creatures, but snakes. But we treat sin like a cream puff. And the reason why we treat cream, uh, sin like a cream puff is a cream puff is just like, it's like you can't just eat one, right? It's like, oh, just one more, just one more. And it's just enough sugar for one day's intake. But you know what? It's okay. I'll just have another one. It's not that big of a deal. But then a rattlesnake bite, boy, we're not going to mess around with, with that, right? Why? Because a rattlesnake bite is going to inject venom into your body and it could potentially kill you. You're not going to handle a rattlesnake going, oh, it's no big deal. You're going to leave it alone. In the same way, Satan is going to tempt you. Not like it's a rattlesnake. He's going to tempt you like it's a cream puff. Oh, it's not going to matter. It's not going to hurt you. It's not going to rule your life. It's no big deal. And even though we know, Paul says that the wages of sin are what? Death. We know, oh, we're going to ignore the, 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 the still small voice of the Spirit saying, this applies to you. So what do we do? What do we do when this kind of stuff is in our is, is, is all around us and these still small things are looking to take us down and keep us crawling? Do we move out into the country away from everything and everyone and build ourselves a sustainable farm and never look at another person the rest of our life? The problem is, is that you moved yourself away. And the problem is, is that you still have a ton of sin in your life that you're going to have to put off and put on. So moving away and getting apart from uh, everything around you is not going to fully do it, folks. That's not the end goal because God has actually called us to be a part of the world, right? It's what Paul says in verse 18. He says, so be filled with the Spirit of God. He says, be filled. It's this present tense that means, look, be filled continually. The, the, word, the word spirit, it's actually the word that, that means breath. It, so everyone inhale with me, ready? And then exhale. It, it's this idea of continually filling your, your spiritual life with the Spirit of God and then exhaling. Letting the Spirit of God bring you uh, strength and, and focus in your life. And as you move towards God, as the Spirit directs you, you will move towards flying higher and higher and higher and higher. Look, Paul and God, I'm, and, and, and I'm not saying that you've got to be perfect because that's impossible. That's why we have the gospel. That's why we have the blood of Christ. But what God wants you to do is to take one step forward towards him in your life all the time. And that's what I want to ask you. What is that one step? Is there a sin that needs confessed? Is there a next step in your life? Is there a putting off or is there a putting on right now for you men, right now for you ladies? What does that look like? And what scripture tells us is that when we take a step towards God, what does God do for us? He moves towards us. 